Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the final episode for the 2022 NFL season of the Football Outsiders Draft live stream. We made it. We made it through. We've come out the other end, and we're here to talk about the draft one last time. With me, as always, is my co-host, Derek Kloss. How are you doing, Derek? Not too bad. I am I'm uh, glad that the finish line is now uh, about an hour away. <laughs> <laughs> what what's left for you on the finish line? Oh this. This is it. This is Yeah, it. this this is it. This is the final step. <laughs> the final hurdle here for for Derek and for I and for Matt as well. Matt Lombardo, longtime NFL analyst, insider, beat writer for the Giants and the Eagles. How you doing, sir? Long time no see. Hey, great to hear great to be here with you guys and I'm excited to be here on the finale. You know, saving yeah. the best for last, and we get to break down the draft. It's an exciting time. Absolutely. You have an elite background, by the way. You've got the Eagles. You've got the Giants. You've got the Nittany Lions. You're set for everything back there. Yeah, you know what? I thought I'd make it a little bit of a homage to the teams that I've covered, to the NFL, to the team that I cheer for. It's worked right. out pretty well. I had to ask you, like, do you guys have trouble? I mean, we're still working. And of course, we and Dirk and I were saying we, we're still going to be working uh, until we stop working until until the dirt nap. Um, do you guys have trouble like winding down after the draft? Like throttling down? Yes, I've actually already gotten into like the itch of watching like uh, clinics. Like I've been watching a lot of the Georgia stuff lately, which is not like work, but it's still very like you don't realize going from like eight hours of football a day to like, oh, the draft is over. We're just done. It's like, well, it's kind of a hard switch to flip, even if you kind of want to. So, right. Yeah, I'm kind of in the opposite of that because I look at it as the NFL draft is such an adrenaline rush. It's really a payoff of all of the work that goes in going to the draft. And then afterwards, it's like, OK, what now? Free agencies right. in the rear view. Maybe we're right. looking ahead to OTAs and mini camp and training camp and all those things. But there's a little bit of that like winding down period, and you're like, "What's next? Where do you go from here?" Yeah, I it hit me this morning. Like yesterday, I was running around cleaning things, and of course, I'm doing radio appearances and things like that, and just like just like energy to do all these other things. And like, yeah, I was making a spreadsheet. I was starting some football outsiders almanac stuff. Aaron, don't worry, Derek and I are on top of that. <laughs> uh, and this morning, I, I was taking a walk around my neighborhood, and like my world just stopped. Like everything just, went, and I went to an absolute halt. But you could tell. Everybody was still overstimulated yesterday because, you know, obviously on Saturday we cover the draft and then Sunday we're still covering the draft and we're putting our grades out. And Yesterday afternoon, all across socials, the giant breaking news that Justin Ross signed with the Chiefs. <laughs> and everyone acted as if Tom Brady had just been traded. <laughs> we, we were, we or were the Chiefs got it on the first, first round something. pick. Say again? <laughs> I, I thought he said they basically got another first-round yeah, pick really. with Ross. <laughs> yeah. By the end, it was like, this is the steal of all steals. And it's like, you know, Derek and I have been doing the show for like three months. I think at the beginning we might have mentioned Justin Ross once or twice. And then the reality from every angle came in. Uh, he, I mean, he maybe if he had been a six-round pick, which I think would have been reasonable, uh, no one would have mentioned it. But yesterday we had – we're all overstimulated, and so this is it. This is the guy. I don't. I must have. He was trending. Justin Ross was tw trending on Twitter yesterday, and good for him. But guys, it's like wide receiver seven for the Chiefs. It's. <laughs> I mean, they're gonna. Have yeah, to I think that's just it. I mean, everybody sees what he did in the college football playoff. They look at him going into that offense, and people are excited. Yeah. But 
I'm, I agree with you, Mike. I think people kind of needed to take a little bit of a deep breath. I mean, there was a big <laughs> leap of, okay, it's, it's Monday. He yeah. signed as an undrafted free agent. And if there was this great market for him, if he was fully healthy, if he was ability, had the ability to play up to the level that people expected him to, mm-hmm. maybe he would have signed on Saturday right after the draft and gone in yeah. the sixth round. So I yeah. agree with you. The hot takes were just kind of overcooked <laughs> by Monday on Russ. <laughs> I blame, I blame our editors. I blame our bosses. Bosses, you should have said, everybody, you have to take Monday off. You should have made like sort of a mandatory piece. Because all the people around it, like, I, I, ah, damn, I, I got I to gotta do it. I got to cover this. I got to cover this. Yes. And by the end, Tyreek Hill re- replacement was found. And it was Justin Ross. No knock on Ross. But, yeah, he, he was a UDFA for a reason. You know, just like Carson Strong was, who's come to the Philadelphia Eagles, et cetera. And it's, it is interesting, but this is a good time to – Reflect back on the bigger picks. It's also time to wind down because Derek, I think, will clunk his head over after uh, <laughs> on his desk when this is over. And Matt, we brought you in in part because there were a lot of storylines, tons of storylines coming out of it. One of the biggest ones, of course, was the quarterbacks fell. Except for Kenny Pickett, the quarterbacks fell. And on the one hand, there's an easy answer for why the quarterbacks fell. They were not very good. And Derek and I warned you for three months that they were not very good. But that doesn't that doesn't stop quarterbacks from getting picked in the first round in any given year. So Matt, I know you, you, you're connected. You've been talking to, to, to some general manager scouts, et cetera. What did you hear about this quarterback slide? Yeah, Mike, I really agree with you. And I really enjoyed your piece in the New York times breaking down like why these quarterbacks fell. So I made some phone calls today before coming on with you guys. And the general feeling was not only were these quarterbacks not very good, which, you know, kind of dissuaded teams from doing the really silly, overly aggressive, dare I say, stupid things that desperate teams (laughs) do to get quarterbacks in the NFL draft. But the talent discrepancy between the quarterbacks, the wide receivers and the edge rushers was so wide you had GMs and executives going to the owners in these war rooms and saying, hey, you saw what happened with Chase Young a couple of years ago. You looked and you saw what Jamar Chase did last year. Now, there was no Jamar Chase in this wide receiver class. There might not be a Chase Young, but there were elite wide receivers that went round one, round two, and round three. And there were dominant edge rushers who could be immediate double-digit sack guys year one. And I think that the skepticism about guys like Kenny Pickett and his consistency, Malik Willis's and his, you know, ability to process and all of those things. Is he ready to step in and play immediately combined with the talent gap between the quarterbacks and the other premier positions? It really caused the quarterbacks to slide, which is something that we haven't seen and we're not used to seeing. And I don't know that that's going to repeat itself next year because it's a much stronger quarterback (laughs) class next season. But there were so many questions about this group and the other positions were so deep and so talented that it caused the quarterbacks to fall down the board. And I want to throw one more thing at you guys real quick. You know, the draft has moved further and further and further into the calendar every year. Mm-hmm. And a couple people that I spoke to said the more that they got around these guys, the more that they got them in meetings and asked them to go up to the whiteboard or to diagnose plays, they seemed to get worse as the process went along. So teams have more time around these quarterbacks, more time to evaluate the quarterbacks, which brings up more red flags, which pushes them down the board, especially when there are better players at other, other positions to choose from. Huh. So it's like add another week to the process you get another interview with the guy. And I wonder how much of that is, well, yeah, this group of quarterbacks may not have been spectacular. And how much of that is analysis paralysis, because that's how the NFL operates. Like, now that we've had our fifth meeting about it, we don't like them anymore. (laughs) 
Right. And I think that we saw last year when you saw guys like Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance go really high as the top three picks, mm-hmm. they all had great workouts. I mean, how many pro days did we watch on NFL Network? Or did we talk to people inside the league who were just blown away by what Trey Lance did or by Justin Fields' arm strength at his pro day at Ohio State? That didn't happen this year. None of these guys really set the world on fire other than maybe Blake Willis. And Kenny Pickett, I think, went in the first round because he was probably the best of the bunch. He had all the measurables that the other guys didn't. And the Steelers, by the way, they were so familiar with him because they share a facility with the Panthers. So they knew him and they were comfortable with him. And I think that by these guys not dominating the pre-draft process, it really pushed them down the board. Were you surprised how things shook out, Derek? Definitely. I mean, kind of like Matt mentioned at, at the top, like, even if it's not a good class, usually guys are going to get pushed up. I mean, it's, it's happened before and it'll happen again, even if it didn't happen this year. Um, so that part was weird. I was kind of shocked to see that so many of them fell all the way to the third was really the biggest problem. Um, and I think, I think the thing there is kind of twofold. One, I think there are actually just too many good NFL quarterbacks. Like the bar for what is bad is way higher now than it used to be. Cause like theoretically, so Mariota might be the worst starting quarterback in the league, right? You know, they're probably going to pick first overall. The Falcons are terrible. Marcus Mariota being the worst quarterback in the league is way better than it was 10 years ago when Curtis Painter was the worst. quarterback. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like the bar is just higher and guys are probably more convinced that like, ah, we could probably get by. So I think there's that element of it. Um, And then I also think, there's kind of a gear shift mentally when you take a guy in the second. You probably think he's going to be the starter. It's like Drew Locke in, uh, you know, with the Broncos. If the Broncos took Drew Locke in the third, they're probably not as pressed to really, you know, give him as many chances as they did and see what was what was up. The fact that they invested a top fifty pick in him, they were probably like, all right, we get, we got to see, we got to give him a chance, blah blah blah. I think now that these guys like Willis, uh, Corral, and Ritter being taken in the third. You know, if they suck, then who cares? Like, it was a third-round pick. You're like, oh, whatever. Um, and then if they're good, it's like, oh, that's wonderful. But you don't feel as pressured to actually make them the guy, which is why I think they kind of slipped all the way to the third instead of the second. And that's a great point, too. And you look at, you know, the league right now, the drop-off from the guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and the rest of the league is so wide. And if you don't have one of those guys, you have to go get one. And I think that teams were a little bit more reluctant to try to use a first round pick or a second round pick on one of these guys, knowing that there's going to be a higher level quarterback coming out next year who might get you closer to that elite level that you need to have, that it's necessary that you have to compete for Super Bowls in today's NFL. And to what Derek is saying, there's that gap from the S tier and the A tier down to the B. But the B tier goes all the way from, you know, the 15th best guy to your Taylor Heineke's and your, you know, and, and your Wences and your Goffs and, and your Mark Mariota's and all these guys. And so why pick another one of those when those seem to be gettable when ba- and Baker Mayfield is sitting there gettable in that tier, uh, Garoppolo is sitting there gettable in that tier. Then what's, what's the urgency for a Desmond Ritter? If that's the tier, he looks like he's 90% going to land in um, a couple of questions. A lot of questions about this. I'm going to start with GV seven, seven, six, because I wanted to ask it anyway. Are you guys surprised that Willis ended up falling so low? I 100% was. Uh, I mean, I I didn't really buy lines at two. Um, that seemed a little – Yeah. It honestly seemed like they are in on Jared Goff, and obviously now that the draft has unfolded, they are for whatever reason, or at least in on 
waiting out the quarterback position. But I thought he would at least like somebody back into the first would would go up for him. Um, And then worst case scenario, you know, fall to maybe 40, pick 40, something like that. Somebody would take him. Falling to the third, you know, I we I just explained why it might have happened, but I still can't believe that it actually happened. Right. right. Yeah, I am too, especially when you look at the track record of teams who need quarterbacks go up and get them in, in the first round. And, you know, you had some quarterback needy teams in the middle of round one that could have taken him. Yeah. You, I, I thought the Eagles would have made a lot of sense in round two because I think that Malik Willis has more upside than someone like Jalen Hurts. And I mm-hmm. thought the second round – was kind of the sweet spot for him. Uh, I was surprised on night two that he slid through the second round. I mean, that was a big surprise to me. You look at the teams at the top of that board, even a team like the New York Giants, who don't seem all that committed to Daniel Jones and decided not to pick up his fifth-year option on Thursday before round one began. I was a little surprised he made it past New York in round two. And then sliding into the third round, I thought was a really big surprise. Yeah, when the, when the third round hits and the Giants and all the quarterbacks, are, uh, I, I I thought the Giants are going to grab one here because, like you said, it's a low risk. Uh, but it's like, oh, well, sorry, Daniel Jones, but we have this guy we're going to give a, an evaluation to while we piece it together. Um, I have a little bit of a theory about Willis, and it goes to what Joey Sucks says. You know, Joey Sucks, who's now thirty five. Happy birthday, Joey! Uh, I, I would be pretty much over it by the third interview, much less the fifth. And how these twenty two year olds handle that, and that speaks to the pre draft trust prop process for all of these guys where they're being flown around the country and then popped on zoom and being asked the same questions over and over again. One of the things about Malik Willis, you know, heard him talk at the combine, talked to him a little bit at the senior bowl. And he said things that I really liked, like, you know, I don't really, I don't really play with a chip on my shoulder. Everybody's gone through stuff in this league. I'm just going out there trying to, to excel. And, you know, I, it, my adversity is not what fuels me. My fuel, you know, that because again, we've all been through adversity. He says things like this. And I'm like, well, that's a very mature young man. I can hear NFL evaluators saying, he doesn't play with a chip on his shoulder. Screw this kid. We can't trust this kid. He's not, he's, you know, that whole thing that's going on right now in the air. He wasn't hungry enough. He wasn't desperate enough with Brisker, which, you know, smacks a little bit of racial semiotics and things like that. I could hear people checking off. That's not the kind of guy we want in this, uh, locker room even though i'm hearing it saying i'd like this kid in my locker room because he's not going to throw two interceptions and completely lose his, his, his lose his lunch over it and that's what that's that's my willis theory take it or leave it um another question here is oh, once uh, jay molnar i'm gonna we'll move on from here i find it hard to believe these guys were that far away from zach wilson and one thing the difference between now and that you said this year we had like the extra week or the extra two weeks or whatever Last year, we had this truncated 2020 season and then some virtual stuff. And the Jets came out of that and said, yeah, Zach Wilson, number two overall. So what we're really seeing here is that there's a complete difference this year in terms of how much film and tape we had on these guys than what we had on them last year. And I think the Jets looked at what Zach Wilson did as a rookie and they said, okay, we're going to build around him. And they set out to build around him. And they did a great job of that in free agency and obviously getting Wilson in round one and addressing the offensive line during the draft, they're committed to Zach Wilson. And I think that, you know, unless you're in these buildings and you know how teams feel about the quarterbacks, not only going into the draft, but after they're around them for a year, I think it's hard to make evaluations between who's a second-year quarterback or a third-year quarterback and the incoming class because obviously Joe Douglas and the Jets believe in Zach Wilson, believed in him before they took him. And they're acting like they believe he can be a top 10 or 15 quarterback. And we'll see if they're right. Right. I mean, evaluation was harder from a film standpoint last year. Is that accurate, Derek? Or 
Um, yeah, kind of. I, I mean, especially because like Trey Lance didn't even really get mm-hmm. you know a, a, an extra season, so that made it tricky. Right. Um, BYU basically played like the fakest schedule they've ever yes. played. Yes. <laughs> um, so there right. were definitely a lot of weird uh, stuff with that. Um, and it could just be that teams were a little bit more willing to swing on the potential of last year's class because obviously last year's class was better overall, but yeah. also like all of the guys at the top just had way better tools, obviously aside from Mac, but yeah. like uh, Trevor Lawrence, incredible tools across the board, Trey Lance, incredible tools, Zach Wilson, great tools across the board, uh, Justin Fields, great tools across the board. Yeah. Aside from Willis, nobody in this class really had that. Like, Pickett clears the bar, but, like, he wasn't, like, a sexy tools guy. Um, Ritter, again, clears the bar, but, like, you're not drafting him because he's a tools guy. Even Corral, like, kind of clears the bar, but I didn't think his tools were that good. Um, So I just think teams, you know, were just a lot more willing to bet on the tools last year than they were now. And also, like, truthfully, the quarterback landscape changes every year, and I think there was a lot more uncertainty with a lot of the veterans moving around last season than there was this season where – you know, other than, you know, 2021 really only had Stafford moving this offseason, I think had a lot more bigger pieces moving that that kind of changed some things. Right. Right. It's very different. Every draft is a little different. I want to remind everyone that Football Outsiders NFL draft coverage has been presented all draft season long by Underdog Fantasy. Use the promo code FO40. That's FO40 at Underdog to double your deposit up to one hundred dollars. And links to Underdog Fantasy can be found in the description of this video. Go play with us on Underdog today. And I want to thank Underdog for uh, for sponsoring us throughout all of this, all of Football Outsiders draft coverage. Thank you so much. And this is how I thank you by almost forgetting the ad read at the top of the uh, uh, of the uh, show. But I remembered it here. So, again, thank you to our sponsors. And I'm going to shift gears a little bit here because this is about the time in the week where, again, we are about ready to talk about other things um, and, and pivot from what happened to what's going to happen. What's going to happen, first of all, is some of these guys now that they're rookies are going to be up for rookie of the year. And I uh, wanted to ask the panel here to pick some uh, some early offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year uh, 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 predictions. We went and got the odds. Uh, our producer, Ross, uh, went and got the odds updated uh, very much just about an hour or two ago. So these are up to the minute. Thank you very much for that, Ross. Here are the offensive rookie of the year odds right now. And um, before I ask you guys for your picks, you know, just looking over this, any surprising name pop out at you in this group? To me, honestly, Bryce Hall feels a little high just because they also have Michael Carter, who I assume is still going to get a lot of touches. So I almost – not that Hall's a bad player. I think he's really good. I just – wonder if he's actually going to get enough touches to to warrant a rookie of the year type of deal makes sense and chris Olave at plus 1000 look i know that Jameis wilson winston likes to swing it all over the yard he might throw it 40 50 times a game but i feel like in order to win an offensive or defensive rookie of the year award you have to play in a pretty good team you have to win in, in addition to produce you know great stats I don't know that New Orleans is going to do a lot of winning this year. So I feel like Chris Olave should be a little bit more of a long shot than plus 1,000. Well, well, Drake London is at plus 750. How is he going to? Right. Right. I mean, well, they have can... such a target vacuum that he might just, you know, see 200 passes. So, right, right. He could out. have the 120 catch for 875 yard Jarvis Landry uh, extreme uh, memorial season. But I asked you guys to make picks, and I believe I made a pick as well. And uh, I'll start with you, Matt. Who is your pick for Offensive Rookie of the Year? 
Yeah, I went interesting interesting route here. And, you know, this is obviously traditionally a quarterback award. That's probably not going to happen this year unless Kenny Pickett really goes off in Pittsburgh. There have only been two wide receivers who have won it since 2014, Odell Beckham Jr. and Jamar Chase. Mm -hmm. We know there isn't a Jamar Chase in this class, but there's a Sky Moore in this class. And Sky Moore falls into an ideal situation in an offense with arguably the most gifted quarterback walking the planet in an offense that has Travis Kelsey, who takes up a lot of space and a lot of targets and a lot of attention. Juju Smith-Schuster is there. Marcus Valdez-Scandling is now there. They have a trio of great running backs. And Sky Moore is a guy who can take the top off of defense. And did I mention his quarterback is Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> so I think that Sky Moore has a really good chance to win this award. Yeah. One thing he's also very good at, he was in the RPO, play-action fake, quick slant, play-action fake, quick slant. The Chiefs do do that. The Chiefs do do that, and I think they want to do a little bit more of it now that they're transitioning a little bit. That could be a role for Sky Moore. Uh, Derek, who'd you pick? I actually went with uh, Chris Olave um, for a couple reasons. The one is the obvious, just, I mean, outside of Michael Thomas, they just don't have any pass catchers. So I assume mm-hmm. that Olave is going to get a fair amount of run um, right. pretty much just for that. I also think um, he fills a particular thing that the offense needed, which is somebody who can stretch the ball or right. stretch the field um, so they can actually push the ball down the field. Because last year they did not have any of that. And truthfully, I thought Jameis Winston actually played fairly well, given mm-hmm. what the offense, you know, had to offer him. Right. Um, so now that I think they're going to be able to open up a little bit more space with Olave, actually have Olave as their primary downfield target. Um, I just think that he's going to be able to do enough of everything for that offense. And I don't think the Saints will be good, but I think because the rest of the division is so bad outside the box, obviously. Yeah. I think they could probably be like a fringe-ish wildcard team, which might be good enough to let Olave, you know, get enough attention to, to win the award. You know, Aaron will tell us uh, that the projections are pretty good, in part because they've got a lot of veterans on defense. The projections, like you mentioned, for Jameis last year, when they were there, that offense's numbers were pretty good. And, of course, four wins guaranteed in the division. <laughs> Two against the Falcons, two against the Panthers. Let's face it. So you start out four and zero, oh, and again, once you get to, it's, it's not the AFC. Once you get to nine and eight, uh, you're you're a playoff team in the in the NFC. My my concern, Derek, and this is my thing, is that like he's going to wind up being wide receiver one because I'm not sure. I'm not as convinced we're going to see a fully functional Michael Thomas as everyone seems to be hoping we are. Even better if he's wide receiver one, just feed him <laughs> targets. <laughs> Good point. Well, I kept it very straightforward with Kenny Pickett at plus five hundred. We have. One quarterback with a real legitimate chance at getting the starting job could conceivably win the week one starting job, could be in there week four, week five, week six. It's not a hard bar to go over Trubisky. They've got an improved offensive line. They've got a pretty good receiving core. And one of the things about quarterback winning rookie of the year is that defense gives him a bunch of 23 to 16 wins. He's going to wind up going to the top of the, the, you know, the potentially going to the top of, of the leaderboard and getting that award. Now, didn't necessarily happen last year because a receiver went for 12 million yards. And, and so even <laughs> Mac Jones couldn't, couldn't uh, uh, you know, get past the Jamar Chase thing. But like you guys said, the running backs, they're all going to be in committees. Each of those receivers you can make an argument for. I'm keeping it simple. I'm going with Kenny Pickett. And, you know, Kenny Pickett makes a lot of sense because of the supporting cast. I mean, you think about the weapons they have around him. You have Najee Harris who's going to take a lot of pressure off him. Pat Fryermuth, the tight end, emerges a legitimate elite red zone pass catcher. 
And he's got some dynamic receivers, some really young receivers, somebody like Chase Claypool, who continues to get better and better. The problem is, Mike, I, I don't know that the Steelers are going to be able to keep up with the Bengals, yeah. with the Browns, depending on when Deshaun Watson can play, and the Ravens in that division. I think Kenny Pickett might take his lumps, but if he starts right away, he's got to have the best odds to win it, right? Because of the position that he plays. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the risk I'm taking right now, saying, oh, he'll beat Trubisky. And, you know, Derek, you've been a skeptic of Kenny Pickett's readiness. He might not beat Trubisky. Right. I, I will say, though, if any org is going to be able to get a guy ready to play, I do trust Mike Tomlin a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm not even necessarily just ready to play, but also like we're not going to see last year, like where we saw with Justin Fields, where they just had one of the worst right. pass protection plans in history against the Browns and just got him murdered. Stuff like that <laughs> is not going to happen in Pittsburgh. So there is at least like some degree of high floor with betting Pickett here, not necessarily because of him, but just because the coaching staff. And then like Matt, Matt mentioned, I mean, they have legitimate skill players. Like they're one through five, really, you know, with Harris Firemuth, and then three of their receivers with, uh, Claypool, Johnson, and then uh, Pickens. I mean, it's just like he's going to have guys to throw to and a coaching staff that's not going to fail him. So even if I don't like him, it's a decent spot to produce early on. I like it. I like it. Now, we're going to switch over to defensive rookie of the year. And by the way, if you are a person who bets on defensive rookie of the year on May 3rd, good for you. I'm glad you enjoy. I'm not going to yuck your yum or anything else like that. But, you know, there are other options. Kentucky Derby is this Saturday. If you need the, if you, if you need the fix, get help. If you want the fix, uh, you know, bet the Derby, bet some of these other things, but defensive rookie of the year is fun. That's, that's our Ballywick here. And uh, here are some of the favorites. There's a wide, wide pool. And again, thanks to Ross for updating these because these look like they've changed uh, since, since uh, we first filled out the card yesterday. And uh, you can see some of the big names off the top here. You got Aiden Hutchinson, Kevin Thibodeau, no surprises here, I don't think, among the top names. I don't know if we all picked from the top names. I'm going to start with you, Matt. Who did you pick for Defensive Rookie of the Year? Yeah, I, I really walked up to the line to take Kyle Hamilton because I think he has the chance to be the best defensive yeah. player in this draft. I've had an executive tell me that he's going to make the most Pro Bowls of any player in this draft. But in the end, I went chalk. I mean, this is a pass rusher award, right? There's only a handful of defensive backs who have won this over the last 20 years. It's about sacks. It's about the sexy highlights. Yep. And I think Aiden Hutchinson is best positioned to be a double-digit sack guy year one. I mean, guys, he gets two matchups per year against the Bears offensive line and Justin Fields. <laughs> I love Justin Fields, but he's going to feast. He gets to play against the Minnesota Vikings and, you know, yeah. Statue of Liberty quarterback Kirk Cousins. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's a chance Aiden Hudson can get like 10 to 12 sacks. And if he does that, he's taking home rookie of the year. I think you talked me into it with the two two games again a, a week against Fields. Um, and he's also he's also got the pompadour there. That hair that haircut is also looking defensive rookie of the year to me in the, the photo there. Derek, who'd you go with? So I would agree that the most likely to win it is probably Hutchinson. If you're going for the safe bet, that that seems to be the move. Because like Matt said, he's going to be able to feast just on the division quarterbacks, let alone I don't know who else they're going to play. Um, but I kind of went with more of a long shot. I went with uh, Kyrie Elam, the corner to Buffalo. Nice. I just think schematically it is literally perfect um, because he's actually a lot like Levi Wallace where he's kind of – um he's a really tough smart corner he loves to play press right um the difference is elam's an athlete whereas levi wallace was not an nfl level athlete mm -hmm. um so 
Wallace was just kind of getting by. Elam is a legit guy who can run with people. Um, he has incredible ball skills. He knows how to find it in the air. I just think it's such a perfect marriage of player and scheme. Um, and then honestly, I think McDermott to me is the best defensive back teacher in the entire league right now. Um, he just gets every guy they bring in up to speed and up uh, up to you know their best ability. And I think they're going to be able to do that with Elam sooner rather than later. So it will definitely require some interceptions, which those are like really hard to predict. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I think he's going to be in position often enough that that a couple of those could come. But you can see it because he's probably CB2. They're going to – Yeah. He's going he's to get targeted. Safeties are great, so he's going to have support. If you're going to try and predict interceptions, that's probably where you go. And, and a great they have the Buffalo offense, so you got to keep up with them. Yes. What do you got to do to keep up with them? You're going to throw the ball. <laughs> throw the ball. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, and by the way, talking about interceptions a moment ago, Matt, you just said, you, you know, Hamilton, potential to be the most Pro Bowls. It's just shocking that we all love this ball player, but he's such an afterthought somehow in, in the NFL. It's just very strange. And the Ravens did what they do, right? They sit yeah. back, they let the board develop. And they get an elite player. You know, it, it's just, I tweeted this during the draft. Every team should study what the Ravens have done on draft weekend over the last 15 or 20 years. Because they just continue to collect talent. Go back to Adafi Owe in round one a year ago. Few teams had him as a round one grade. You know, he was one of the most dominant pass rushers in the game as a rookie. I mean, you look at how Hamilton coming in. You'll get some of the other players they picked up, you know, the center out of Iowa, yeah. uh, you know, Linderbaum. That, that, to me, the Ravens just every year hit after hit yeah. after hit in the draft. Right. And they got a great player again. Right. Absolutely. And you took the safe, Matt, you took the safe pick. Uh, Derek, I'm kind of mad because you got tremendous odds on Elam. I don't know. <laughs> those didn't look like the odds when I first went to it. Plus 18. You got better odds than my choice. But again, it is May 3rd. It is a week before the Kentucky Derby. I'm not making a safe pick for defensive rookie of the year. I'm taking a big swing, and I'm also making a homer pick. And I went with Nicobe Dean, the linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles out of Georgia, coming in at plus 1,200, not on the list up there. He's kind of down the list a little bit. And, you know, again, I think we all saw the story. We were all on Twitter on Friday night saying, what did this young man do? Did he run over a nun? What, what, what did he do that he couldn't – they were sliding down the board, and then we discovered there were all these medicals, and these medicals uh, like seem to be worse and worse and worse. He goes to the end of the third round. He comes to Philadelphia. Um, we all chant hosannas. We lost Matt a moment ago. I want to get Matt's opinion from the Eagles insider. But this is a guy who could come back on a good defense and wind up being a 120-tackle guy. What are your thoughts, Derek? I mean, I love Dean. I, I thought to me, Dean was the best linebacker in the class. I did expect him to fall to some degree because of his size. Um, yeah. But then it seemed like he fell even further because of uh, some of the medical issues. Like I know he had a pec strain um, that kind of kept him out of his pro day, all that sort of stuff. So I still expect Nicobe Dean to be really good, assuming the health is good. You know, I don't think the size is that much of an issue because to me, he never really played small. I mean, there would be a couple of instances here and there, but his contact balance and strength for his size was amazing. So I don't think that's going to be an issue. And then I think he just was by far the smartest linebacker in the class. So I think he's got enough of smarts, athleticism, strength, that he's going to be able to figure it out. It's just a matter of if he's healthy or not. Matt, we're talking to Kobe Dean. you have anything inside from the Eagles side of things? Matt, you're, you're, you're mute again. Can't hear you, buddy. Just give it another chance. We'll wait because I want to hear Matt's thoughts. But uh, his internet is disagreeing with him. 
<laughs> check, check, big guy. Nope. I'm doing the thing that I did when I was in a, those of you who are listening, but not uh, watching, I'm doing all the stuff I would do in a band when you couldn't hear the, uh, you couldn't hear the piano player, you know, where I, I do the down arrow with my hand. Check, check. Let me hear you, Matt. Nope. Nope. This is, this is, this is uh, a struggle here. Got to keep working with it. This is compelling live audio. Check, check, man. Let me hear you. Folks, this is how the sausage is made. <laughs> yeah. Is this better? Can you hear me yes. now? Yes. Perfect. Although now we're echoing. It's weird. All right. So we're back. I mean, I reported on Friday night during the draft as he was falling. There was a belief among multiple teams that he didn't just have the issue with the pec, but he had an issue with a meniscus in his knee. And there were some teams that believed he might be facing a red shirt year because of needing to get healthy undergoing surgery for both of his injuries. The Eagles clearly had different intel because if you listen to how he wrote. We lost with him again. Of course, there was an echo going on. We lost you again, sir. <laughs> I, Matt, I think it, when we can hear you, it's echoey, which means I think we're getting feedback between the two. Uh, like uh, it's echoing between like the microphone and the speaker and that kind of thing. While Matt works on that, I will remind everyone that Football Outsiders NFL Draft coverage is presented by Underdog Fantasy. Use the promo code FO40. That's FO40. To double your deposit up to $100. Links to the Underdog Fantasy can be found in the description of this video below. Come play with us on Underdog today. Matt, where are we standing? Good. We got the thumbs up. Oh, my. We good? All right. Beautiful. Sorry for the internet issues here. I mean, I'm glad we're not sponsored by a Wi-Fi company because that would be a <laughs> poor endorsement for, for the sponsors. And thank you to Underdog Fantasy for doing this. Um, you know, where I left off is the Eagles clearly didn't have the intel that N'Kobe Dean was going to be facing any sort of red shirt year. They expect him to be on the field for rookie minicamp. But if that's the case... It's insane value to get yeah, N'Kobe yeah. Dean where they got him. He's a plug-and-play, top-ten talent. And if he gets on the field in that defense, when you look at what they already have in place and they get Jordan Davis, a space eater, which allows him to freelance a little bit more just like he did at Georgia, that's a great pick for them. And even in a worst-case scenario, let, let's say from the Eagles' standpoint, it's a worst-case scenario that N'Kobe Dean does need surgery. And he's going to miss significant time, even if he misses the season. Okay, now you're dropping a top 10 talent from this year's draft, fully healthy, into a team next year that has two first-round picks that you're either going to use to get a top quarterback, or you're going to have two first-round picks to continue building out around that quarterback. So in a lot of ways, I don't know that N'Kobe Dean could have landed in a better spot. And I give Howie Roseman a lot of credit for sticking to his character and being aggressive throughout the draft, not the least of which was the A.J. Brown trade and taking Dean where he did. Absolutely. And we do and get we a little echo somewhere when I'm talking, Matt. I don't know if you can, like, mute audio on that end. Okay, actually, it sounds like it went away. Excellent. Thank you, Ross. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Now, ask my panel here to go through and answer a couple other questions about this uh, this year's draft class. And we're going to run through that in a moment. And, of course, everybody's saying winners, losers. You go by and you can uh, go to our draft grades 
at Football Outsiders, which I had the pleasure of writing. Um, they're up. And then you can also go to Football Outsiders and you can see that there is a report card of report cards. One of those things where, and Aaron was one of the innovators of this, they went, we went across the internet, we did some big data, and we got draft grades from all around the internet. So you can see the consensus report card, the GPAs, so to speak. But I asked my panel here a couple of questions, and we're going to kind of lightning round this a little bit. And the first one is, which team improved its win-loss record the most? And I'll start with you, Matt. Which team improved its win-loss record the most? Most. Uh, I think it's the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, I know that they needed a quarterback. You know, the consensus inside the league is that they needed to go and get a quarterback at some point. That Jalen Hurts doesn't necessarily have the same high ceiling that the Eagles think he does. Um, but you look at what they did with A.J. Brown. You look at what they did, you know, bringing in Jordan Davis with N'Kobe Dean. I think that they're now, in my opinion, the team to beat in the NFC East. Wow, wow. I did like their draft. Derek, who'd you pick? So I went with the Jets. Um, I just think, I mean, one off the bat, getting Sauce Gardner, that, like, changes. I mean, that cl- very clearly fixes their biggest hole, uh, um, you know, on on defense uh, at corner. Um, but then they also get Garrett Wilson, who I was not particularly high on, but I think still adding wide receiver talent there is really impressive, uh, really good for them. And then getting Jermaine Johnson at 26, which, you know, I thought Jermaine Johnson at four was completely insane. I don't think you take a player like that at fourth overall. However, getting him at 26 overall, very nice. I think he could be a really good, you know, like number two pass rusher for them uh, long term. So I, I really like that. And I think he's going to be a great run defender out of the gate. Um, and then, you know, whatever you want to say about taking running backs, they got Brees Hall in yeah. the second, which I think, you know, in the second, like who cares where you take him? Like that's a really good player. He's going to be able to be their lead back. So I just think they added like as many as four or five starters. Cause even like Jeremy Ruckert at tight end can play yeah. Michael Clemens at defensive end could probably be a decent sub guy. Like I just think they knocked it out of the park with basically every pick. Um, so I think they're going to be a, a lot better. It just kind of depends on how good Zach Wilson's going to be. Yeah. And I love both drafts, but in terms of the win loss record, the most, the jets have plenty of up to go to. <laughs> right. They have a lot of, uh, of ground to gain. So, right. Right. They can take the elevator up to eight wins where the Eagles are up kind of high. And like that next elevator up is uh, is a little higher. So I would lean toward the Jets as well. I love their draft. Again, I love both drafts overall, but they improved the most. So to shift gears, because that's great. And we're talking about long term stuff. I asked you guys also, which team improved its Super Bowl chances the most? That's a different question because the Jets are off the table at this point. So which team I'm going to start again with you, Matt? Which team in, improved its Super Bowl, Super Bowl chances? chances yeah, to me, I mean, it's a pretty easy one. It's uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, I just love what Brett Veach did, continuing to collect playmakers. We talked about Sky Moore. I just thought that they addressed needs in the secondary on day two with great value picks. I, I just think that they they got better and they're closer to winning the Super Bowl than a lot of teams in the NFL. And they did a better job, in my opinion. They were one of the three or four best drafts in the NFL. And to me, it just might push them over the top to, to get back there for uh, the third time in four years. You agree, right, Derek? right, Derek? Yeah, I went with the same team because, you know, I, I think for sure we're getting Karloftis as a starter, who I liked a lot. Um, he, he was a top 10 talent to me. I think they can use him a lot like Ingram and get, you know, that type of production out of him early. Um, obviously, Trent McDuffie, he's going to be a starter. So you got two starters right off the bat, which I think is impressive. Then you get Sky Moore, who like they have other receivers. So I don't know if he's technically a starter, but they rotate guys so often that it doesn't matter. He's obviously going to play a lot and be good um, for them. Getting Darian Kennard in the fifth round is like, 
maybe he starts, maybe he doesn't, but I thought that was a good pick. Um, and then even like Leo Chanel, um, getting him in the third round, like, I don't know what they want to do with their linebacker cores, but over the past four or five years or whatever, they've had a pretty consistent theme of they're willing to just have a guy who is a two down player and then swap him out for, you know, whether it's a Daniel Sorensen or, you know, a Ben Neiman, you know, some other guy who can play on third down. Chanel is very much the the first and second down type of guy. And I would not be surprised if he got a lot of run even early and even as an edge player for them, um, you know, with his body type and stuff. So I just think that they got two clear starters, a handful of other guys who can contribute like for a team that's already, you know, a top five roster, probably they're just going to be, it's scary. Yeah. I saw Chanel as like a big blitzy Sam guy that we're going to see him pass rushing a lot. And I love the pick. And I think a lot of people agree with you guys. For me, it's like, you know, the chiefs off season, super Bowls went and then kind of went back up. So as the question was asked, like on draft weekend, yes, they went up considerably. I would still, if I picked, I would have picked the bills. And we just talked about Elam a moment ago. You add Elam. I think adding cook at running back is, is, is a significant move later in the draft class. You take this guy who's just a home run threat. That's going to be a home run threat when teams are worried about five other things. And that guy's like uh, from Boise State, the wide receiver that they get late in the draft, uh, Shakir. You put all those together, and I think the Bills, who were like, you, you know, and Bills are t- like that that odds that go from, you know, what, 20% to 22%. You're right, that 2% doesn't sound like a lot, but it's hard to get. Right, those are the hardest percentages to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so, all right, so. From the ridiculous line, we're going to look at the teams that hurt themselves. We're going to start with the team that potentially hurt its one-loss record the most. And, of course, most teams add during uh, uh, draft weekend. Uh, so maybe you don't hurt yourself, but maybe you don't help yourself as much as you could. There's a couple ways to interpret this, and I left it up to you guys. Matt, I'm going to start with you. We're going to enrage our Patriots fans. You pick the New England Patriots. You know, I think this weekend, once again, proved that the Patriots dynasty was something like 90-10 Tom Brady to Bill Belichick. I just look at, at you know what the Patriots did, and either they had a completely draft different draft board than the rest of us, mm-hmm. or you know, it was just a, a big swing and a miss. I mean, they were taking guys early on and moving back and taking players who I'm not even sure that half the league had on their board. I'm not sure that half of analysts knew who they were or watched them play. Right. So either this is going to turn out to be one of the greatest drafts of all time. Or it's just going to be another, you know, case of Bill Belichick and the Patriots outsmarting themselves. But I just look at the rest of that division and what the Jets did, who I think had one of the three or four best drafts in the entire league, what the Dolphins have done all offseason, and of course the Buffalo Bills. And and Derek, I certainly can agree with the argument that they helped themselves the most. It's a strong argument there in terms of putting them over the top. And, you know, Mike, you brought them up. Um I just think the Patriots took another step back this weekend. So I think they hurt themselves the most out of anybody. You know, it's been funny watching the, uh, the Patriots media really try to pump up Cole strange. Uh, <laughs> like here we found, here's a, here's a rep of him in high school winning a wrestling match. Like, like they're trying to find these things to indicate that this was a, a, a brilliant move. And okay. I think I had a, third round grade on them it's not like a disastrous pick or anything but then you know after basically a year of you know mac jones is obviously tom brady obviously tom brady if you disagree with tom brady we will come and fight you oh we drafted belly zappy why to make mac's arm look better (laughs) 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 
yeah. Oh man, but uh, cognitive cognitive dissonance is good for uh, particularly the Patriots fans. You're a fan. The Patriots media, the members who act like fans. I know you know who you are. This is this is good for you. It's healthy. Uh, Derek, you picked the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. So. You got to start with the receiver thing. They basically swapped out AJ Brown for Traylon Burks, and Traylon Burks is not a bad receiver prospect, right. but at least out of the gate, he's going to be worse than AJ Brown. Like he's just going to be because that's just a really high bar to clear. And unless Traylon Burks is a Jamar Chase level rookie, which that's just not reasonable to expect of anybody, he's just not going to be a good one for one value there. And then I didn't really love a lot of the other stuff that they did like you know Malik Willis I actually like taking him in the third round but he doesn't do anything for them this year um Roger McCreary like maybe he can start on the outside but he has incredibly short arms a guy like that it's probably going to take a little bit of time for him to really come on um Hassan Haskins running back he's going to be a backup that's not really changing anything and then their third round pick Nicholas uh Petit Ferrer uh tackle out of Ohio State I just don't think he's that good and probably not going to change anything for the offensive line so the best player they got is still worse than the guy he's replacing. So it's just hard to imagine how this team is any better, in my opinion. I'll tell you, if I had picked, I decided not to pick on these. They would have been my hurt the Super Bowl odds the most because mm. we forget they were number one seed, you know, in the AFC walking into this. They were, they were, you know, a little bit like fool's gold to a degree, but they are a Super Bowl contender by by absolute definition. And all those things happen. I, I like Petit Frere probably better than you. Uh, but Hassan Haskins, on the other hand, you're going out, you're grabbing that running back. And it's like, well, we might need Derek Henry fresh legs for him. We might need it. You get one of the guys with the lowest broken tackle percentages in the co- in college football in the nation. So it's like, oh, we're going to take the biggest tackle breaker of the last 25 years. We're going to bring in a guy who might go down a little too early. And like, it's another <laughs> example of a, what? what, why did you do that? You know, uh, uh, a situation for the, for the Titans. Now, like I said, that would have been my odds for who hurt their Super Bowl chances the worst. But I asked you guys to say which team hurt their Super Bowl chances and odds the worst. And we'll start with Matt, and we'll see who you picked. Are you there, Matt? Can we? You're. I am now making once again the we can't hear Matt <laughs> and he's. <laughs> And the patience is a virtue here. Derek, we'll go with you. Who'd you pick? Yeah, I went with the San Francisco 49ers. They, I just, again, it's really hard to see how many of these guys are actually going to make an impact. Obviously, they didn't have a first-round pick because of the Trey Lance trade, so that hurts them a little bit. Um, And then you just don't know how good Trey Lance is going to be. Their first pick that they were able to have was Drake Jackson, who I actually think can be a good pass rusher for them. Um, You know, he bulked up a lot. I think he could... They might end up using him similar to what they did with Arden Key, which would not be that surprising to me. And I think he could be really good for them. I just don't really think any of what they added on offense does anything for them right now. They drafted Danny Gray, a receiver in the third round. I don't really think he, you know, cracks the starting lineup. They they drafted Tyrion Davis Price at running back. I don't really think he cracks the starting lineup at all. Um, and none of the offensive linemen they drafted are probably starting unless there's some sort of, you know, catastrophe. So it's not that they like they took some interesting projects and stuff. It's just, I don't know who changes anything for them year one outside of Drake Jackson, but that's on defense. So I, I just don't know. Yeah. Gray was like that Marquise Goodwin. Like, look, here's speed, speed, yeah. speed. And like, can he catch? Can he do anything else? Right. If they took him in the fifth round, I'd be like, okay, you take him in the third round. It's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> right. there, there were guys, there were guys. Yeah. On. Matt, are you there? No. 
you, you, folks, you know the uh, the old Daffy Duck cartoon where all this terrible stuff keeps happening to Daffy Duck, and you you pull away at the last second, and Bugs Bunny is the cartoonist. <laughs> this is unfortunately what <laughs> to Matt right now. Try it now, Matt. Hey, can you hear me now? Echo, man. It was like weird. Uh, that was like Radiohead, man. That was. <laughs> All right, Matt, pick the um, New Orleans Saints and, and Derek. Right now, we, we I mean, we, we and Derek. Right now, we we know. Right there, man. Right there, man. We better now. Can you hear me now? We're going thumbs up now. All right, beautiful. I'm so sorry about this. I'm about to call the internet provider and say, you know what? Switch me out. This is this is nuts. But you know, I, I kind of struggled with this question as much as I'm struggling to stay connected on the the podcast here. Um, but I think that you know. The Saints needed to do a lot to help their their Super Bowl odds. I don't really view them as a Super Bowl team going into this. And I thought that what they did and the player that they picked with the trade with Philadelphia and then the trade to move back up to take Chris Olave, they gave up a lot of draft capital, I felt like, to take a wide receiver. And there were great players to be had in the middle rounds that I think could have really, you know, fast-tracked their rebuild a little bit. And I know it might be a little bit oversimplistic to zero in on one move and one player, but that was the kind of trade that you make to go and get a quarterback. Right. And you took a wide receiver when I think that you're so many pieces away from being a Super Bowl team. I just thought philosophically they kind of hurt their chances this year and maybe in coming years as well. And, Derek, you're not a Trevor Penning fan. Yeah, that's, that's the bigger issue to me. Uh, um, well, one, giving up that much for Olave is the problem. I don't necessarily mind the player pick, but yeah, when you give up, all, you know, the initial trade and then the trade they did on draft day, it's just a lot really for, unless he's Chase, he can't really live up to that year one, um, which sucks for Olave. And then, yeah, Penning just, I wouldn't be surprised if James Hurst is starting week one is the way I would put it with Penning. So I, I, we'll see. <laughs> that's rough. That's rough. And again, and again, I don't know if I would pick, hurt their Super Bowl odds. I'm not sure if I was really picking on these. This is a, the Saints have hurt like their odds over the next five years. Like they're spreading this. And I, I know I'm a broken record Saints fans coming after me on Twitter. They're spreading this problem out over multiple years where if they had just started rebuilding after Drew Brees left, and they just started rebuilding, we'd be looking at them at an upward, we could be looking at an upward trajectory right now. Instead of saying, oh, yeah, they, they plug this hole, they plug this hole, they plug this hole, and they've got no first-round pick next year, no second-round pick the year after that, no third- or fourth-round picks in this draft class when I think they needed to get younger in a lot of positions. Giants of the last three to four years. If you would have yeah. ripped the Band-Aid off after Eli Manning yeah. and begun to rebuild then and drafted well and you know managed the cap well, maybe be in a different spot. But the Saints saw that happen, and they're making worse mistakes than New York has made over the last half-decade. That's a good example. There was all this, let's sort of go until Eli was done. And then, oh, we can just transition because we're still a good team. And it's like, well, no, you're just, you're riding. It's rolling very slowly to a stop. Roll fast to a stop for the Giants, but it's rolling slowly to the stop for the Saints. And we got one more, one more before we let everyone go and let everybody go out and, and, and live their lives for a few days. Um, and that is, so I wanted to ask who's going to be the first round pick in 2023, but I was realizing, I was going to just say like CJ Stroud or Bryce, uh, Bryce Young. So I was going to say, who's the number two pick? And everyone would just pick the other quarterback. So I, we all are going to guess that these two quarterbacks, as of right now, if we if things happen as normal, they're going to be the one and two pick. So I asked my panel to say, who's going to be picked the number third pick, the number three pick in the 2023 draft after the top two quarterbacks? We did not get a third quarterback. We got a pair 
of defensive players. And Matt, I'm going to start with you. And I think we picked the same guy. Yes, we did. Same guy. Yes, we did. I think I think we did too. Uh, you know, I went with Jalen Carter because when you watch that Georgia defense, by the way, how about the Bulldogs? 13 players drafted in this year's draft. And arguably the best player from their defense isn't eligible to be drafted until next year. That's Jalen Carter, who's just a game wrecker along the defensive line. We see how valuable defensive linemen have become over the last several years and you just look at his athletic upside you look at his profile to me he's a guy who has the chance to be a very good chance to be the first non-quarterback taken next year and that could be as high as the number three pick overall yeah and i love him too for all the same reasons jumps out on on tape when you're watching when we were trying to watch all the other guys walker and wyatt and everyone else this number 88 kept jumping out kept jumping out kept jumping out but someone else kept jumping out and that's the guy Derek chose. Yeah, I went with uh, Will Anderson. I, I mean, truthfully, it's it's a crime that he was not the highest rated, you know, defensive player for the Heisman. Um, just yeah. in terms of production, like he, I don't remember exactly what the tackle for loss total, but I think it was up by like 30. Like he was unbelievable last year, just in terms of getting into the backfield. And I think why he's so fascinating to me, um, he's a little on like the thinner side at 243, but he plays mm -hmm. so much bigger than that, yeah. um, both in the run game and in the pass game. Like he's a really tough, um, fairly bendy, really explosive pass rusher. But then honestly, he fascinates me more as a as a run defender. Like he is the meanest dude taking on pulls, um, you know, just taking on tackles if he's getting down blocks or whatever. Uh like meeting the running back, like he is just the nastiest, yeah. smartest run defender. So I think he just brings such an unbelievably high floor. And then he does more than enough as a pass rusher to warrant the number one overall pick, you know, if there weren't these quarterbacks that were going to go. So I think both of these players really, because Carter is also fantastic. Like they, I think each of them would have gone first in this class. Like they're both just unbelievable players. Unbelievable players. And none of the three of us wanted to uh, try to spell, spell Jackson Smith, uh, Najiba, or pronounce it. I probably shouldn't have gone there from Ohio State. He'd probably be on the list, too. But by the way, right now, folks, you can get uh, some uh, 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 odds. C.J. Stroud is plus 200 to be the first overall pick uh, next year. Bryce Young is plus 225. Will Anderson is plus 330. Um, Jalen Carter's down at plus 3,500. Um, because there's that a lot seems of wrong. <laughs> huh? That just seems wrong. There's no way he should be that low. Yeah. I mean, Anderson's there. Quarterback's there. And again, it's number one overall. So like the quarterbacks are probably going to jump them. But if it was number three, then I'd be like, yeah, you better give me plus 300 or something like that on Carter. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to thank everybody. Matt, thank you. Thank you. Of course, thanks for having me. And I'm sorry that, you know, the, the internet kind of hijacked this thing. <laughs> well, we appreciate you having it on. It's good seeing you again. It's been a, a few minutes. Um, Derek, I want to thank you for a phenomenal draft season, both here and on print and on Thursday night when they chained us to these chairs <laughs> and dragged us through all 32 picks. And we're getting very punchy at the end. It was it was it was great having that opportunity to work with you, man. Dude, it, it, it was a great, you know, first, you know, full draft season, really, for football outsiders. So I'm, I'm glad everything unfolded the way it did. And uh, for as for as glad as I am that it's over and we get to rest, I'm excited to, to come back and do it again next year, I assume. Matt, thank you very much. And, of course, Underdog, thank you very much. And, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for liking us. Thank you for going to Underdog Fantasy. And uh, Derek and I, Derek's going to go and uh, take a nap. I think Matt's going to play some <laughs> golf. 
Um, and I'm going to start looking through my undrafted free agent list. That's not true. I'm going to play Civilization Six. I was about to say you better go do something else. <laughs> Civilization Six for 36 straight hours. That's what I'm going to do, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to conquer the world three or four times in a row. But again, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. Actually, you'll see me on Thursday with Aaron Shots on that particular live stream. And until then, on behalf of the whole draft team here, Football Outsiders, Champion Gaming, and Edge Sports, enjoy the offseason.